0: This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with the Naked Life Story with Cheryl. Hi, Cheryl, welcome.
1: Hi, Annie. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, thank you for being here. It's so great. So I, I love your story. I know a little bit about it and I can't wait um, for, for people to hear it. So why don't you kind of go right back to the beginning for us? Why don't you back it all the way up and, and start, start where it starts?
1: Will do. I just want to thank you first though for all the work that you did. I mean, I'm sure you know how much good you have done and how many people you've impacted, but really, it, truly, thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. Um, so I definitely had an interesting childhood. Um, I grew up in a house, alcoholic father. My mother never drank then, but um, he had mental issues as well. So the drinking definitely um, helped with it. Well, I say helped was his therapy for the mental issues. Um, He had OCD and phobias. So like, I don't know if people have ever seen the movie, like as good as it gets. I think that's the closest I've seen to like, wow, I can really relate to that. Um, so weird things. Like, we couldn't wear black in the house because it represented death. We couldn't bring money in the house because it had germs on it. Like, I think all his phobias were centered around death. So, um, and it's weird because, like, we all had to live by these rules. And growing up, I kind of didn't know, like, what was normal and what wasn't. You know, what was just because of him. Like, can anybody wear black? black in their house like you know and it, it would be funny I'd walk in a friend's house and be like um I don't have any money in my purse they're like we don't care <laughs> you know? oh, so it was interesting so and it made um you know teenage years interesting too as I you know spent more time at friends houses and kind of learned what um how other people lived so um when I was 13 because you know he he was his, his drinking went into rages. You know, I know a lot of people who drink and they can just be happy drunks. He was always raging and it it was just a very tumultuous upbringing. But um, when we were 13, when I was 13, my sister had gotten married at that point and moved out and my mom and I did leave. My father had gotten laid off for other reasons. and the drinking got real bad. So we left. We actually lived with a friend of mine. I went into school one morning and said to her, You know, my parents split up last night. We spent last night in a hotel room, and she was like, Come live with me and my mom. So I don't, looking back, that's so weird. But we did, my mom and I moved in with her and her mother for a good month or so. They helped us get on our feet and get an apartment. And I mean, this was like everything I ever asked for. Like, I just wanted my parents split up. And I know that's not normal for most kids to want, but my childhood was so weird. I was starting to really know it was weird. I my, I hated my dad because of the drinking. And, um, you know, this was like amazing that we were out. Well, a couple months into that, my sister called my mom one morning and said, you know, I, I think we need to go over to the house. So they did. And, you know, my dad had just been laying like in his own excrement, you know, no clothes, who knows how long he'd have been there. And he asked them to go get him a bottle. So they said, you know, we're going to get coffee. We're going to come back. You let us know hospital or you're laying here to die. So, um, he picked the hospital, he went. And you know, we, we were still like, okay, like, he's not gonna make it. Like, he had cirrhosis of the liver. He had had heart attacks that he didn't know he had because he was drunk. So and many things were wrong and, years? what's that? you remember how old he was at this time? I was 13, so the math, but I'm 35 now. So he's 77, he was probably in his mid-50s. Okay, so young. Doing the math right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was he was fairly fairly young, um, and we were kind of accepting like, okay, he's not going to make it. The doctors gave him a ten or ten to twenty percent chance of living. Lo and behold, <laughs> I mean, and I saw him through detox. I mean, this is a thirteen year old seeing you know him go through. Like I remember him saying to me, "Can you move over? There's a bloody moose head above your head," and yeah. you know, just being like. What in the hell? That was him detoxing, and um, you know he he ended up making it, and we were, we were shocked. But um, five weeks in ICU, another three months in the regular hospital, and then a few months in rehab because he actually had to learn how to walk again. And my mother said to me, "He's not going to be able to live on his own. Like, what do you want to do? Do you want to move back home?" Um, now looking back at this, I'm kind of like. That was nice that she wanted my input, but I guess it is a lot for a 13 year old to have on their shoulders, but you know, the right thing to do, we moved back in and I helped take care of them, you know, along with my mother, but, uh, you know, she works. So it was me primarily after school. I never knew what I was going to open the door to when I came home from school, but he never drank again. And I should just say he is still alive today. That's amazing. It is crazy. So, um, I could, I saw firsthand what alcohol did. And I said to myself, I'm never going to do this. Like all I want for any, any like wish on a star or, you know, when the clock hits 222 and you make a wish, like it was just, I want a better adult life. I just don't, I want a good adult because my childhood was, you know, kind of shitty. So, um, Moving on, I, went, I, I there was a guy I liked and the friend that I had moved in with when my parents split up, she was like, eh, you don't want that guy. He's like really from not a great you know, home life. He's kind of one of the bad kids. And I was like, I don't care. I, I like that guy. Well she ended up dating him and this does get to <laughs> something later, but you know, um, it was probably the best thing she ever did for me. But I started dating a a kid who had, you know, really great family. And they really showed me like, this is what like, a great family dynamic is. And to this day, I just owe them so much. And we dated for four years, and then went to college, went our separate ways. And that's when I kind of got into the drinking, just normal, you know, we would go out on the weekends, go dancing, we couldn't Really drink at the bars. We weren't of age, so we'd pound alcohol before we went out, get a cab, and then, you know, get a cab home. Um, then, after that first year, I transferred schools and I really didn't feel like I belonged. I went to um, the State University at Albany in New York. It's huge. So, there was just no, like, I just didn't feel like I had a place. And alcohol was kind of that friend. Um, started dating someone else. And oddly enough, he had mental issues. And I said to myself, well, maybe I'm put in your life because I've dealt with this before. Mm -hmm. Instead of like being a normal person and saying, (laughs) run. (laughs) But it was odd because he said to me, you know, your drinking isn't healthy. You You chug wine like it's water, you're supposed to like enjoy the taste and savor it. And you know, I had my boxed wine, and that's just what I, you know, I don't even know how many glasses because you know, you drink the boxed wine, it's easy to go through a lot and not know it. So that was kind of the norm for me. Um, I moved in with um, a few girls in college. And I was kind of always the one, the party girl. I always had the box of wine. So whenever girls wanted to hang out, they would come, you know, Cheryl, can we have some of your boxed wine? And it was just kind of like, that's what I got to be known for. And probably, you know, girls wanted to be my friend because I had that, but it wasn't like that one, you know, I had great friends, but they were off in college doing their own thing. So it's, it's not like they were coming to hang out with me to see how, like, I'm doing. And, you know, it was like, oh, Cheryl's the fun girl. Like, let's hang out with her when we want to have fun. So I guess at the end of the day, that also leaves you a little empty. Mm-hmm. Um, after college, I, I really felt like I didn't have a place because my girlfriends and I, you know, went our separate ways. And at that point, you didn't have health insurance when you graduated college. And my mother said to me, you need a job because you need health insurance. And she wanted me to date her best friend's son. And I was like, no, I'm not interested. He was nine years older than me. I was 22 at this point. And she goes, well, I told him you're bringing in a resume to his company because they're hiring. So I had to go in and bring my resume. He asked me out. I was like, no, thank you. But um, they did give me the job. A few happy hours later, we're dating. So it's now my mother's best friend's son. So it's like... You can't really just, and I work with them now. So it's like, you can't just, you fall into kind of this routine that you think of where you should be in life at, in your twenties. And you don't really take a step back, or at least I didn't to say like, what do I really want? Where do I belong? You know, um, I kind of just did as my mother told me to do and You know, my sister got married young and like looking back, she that was probably her out of getting out of our house. Luckily for her, it was a great guy and, and it worked out, but I know it easily, you know, getting married at 20 years old might not work out that way. So for me, it was like, well, she got married at 20 and now I'm 23 and I'm I'm dating this guy. And I remember saying to him one time, if you really loved me, wouldn't we be engaged? Which is so asinine. (laughs) (laughs) uh, So that's love. Um, (laughs) But um, also at that time, I'd gotten a DWI. So I think subconsciously, if we got engaged, that would take the attention off of the fact that I got a DWI and that maybe I have a problem with drinking because everybody thinks like, if I get engaged, like everyone's happy for you and oh, she's on the right path. So, (laughs) um, we get engaged and then I, you know, I've written blogs about this. Like you're just in bride mode. You're not thinking about being a wife. So blinders were on. Once the deposits are made, you might as well have just signed your marriage license because like to call it off. And I remember walking his dogs thinking, Oh, I'm making a bad decision. But to back out of that, and I think just not having a strong sense of self it just seemed impossible. Also at that time, um, the friend who had taken me in when my parents separated and then dated the guy that I liked, um, she passed away from, it was, it's clear that it was drug and alcohol related. Um, you know, they you say the term is like cardiac arrest, but there's reasons for the cardiac arrest. So all these things in my life, like seeing my father, seeing my friend that happened to her, you, I mean, all the signs were there. Step back and evaluate what the hell you're doing with your life. But it was easier to numb it. So I just kept drinking. And there were never really points where i was like blackout drunk or you know did any even the night i got the dwi like i had had a couple glasses of wine at dinner with friends and was driving home and i remember thinking when they pulled me over i'm like this is the thing that you're like pulling me over for like the night i had a couple glasses of wine with dinner and thinking like there were other times like really it should have been after me but it's horrible. And I, you know, I've never regretted getting a DWI because it just taught me, like, it doesn't matter what amount you have in your system. It's not safe. I mean, it just so I'm glad that that happened. And I, I knew never to drink and drive again. Um, okay. So, okay, now I'm married, and I'm miserable. And he's nine years older than me. So I was just turned like 25 or so and he's 34. He wants kids. So this is where I got like super depressed and would just drink because like we didn't really have a friendship either. There was no like um, camaraderie or deep conversation and um, I I felt belittled often by him. So um, it was just a very dark place and... Luckily, I did know enough to go to therapy, get on an antidepressant, and I remember thinking, oh, is this antidepressant just going to make me happy with him? Because, like, you know, I I just pictured, what is that movie with the wives that are all just, like, dazed over and, like... Is it yeah. Stepford Wives, or...? Yeah. I just didn't <laughs> yeah. want to be that. That's all I could picture in my head talking to my therapist, and she was like, no, it's just going to take you out of it so that you can see... It, from a different perspective mm. so you're not just like i felt literally just buried mm-hmm. and, it, and it really did um you know there drugs can be prescription drugs can be wonderful like when you when you need them like my father his life maybe could have been a whole lot different if he had just been on something to help him with his mental illness um earlier on so um, what, what the therapy and the antidepressant did was just, yeah, you know, she said to me, yeah, yeah you're going to piss people off if you leave him. And we kind of looked at evaluated, like, are you really supposed to leave him or can you work this out? And we, we even went to couples therapy. It just wasn't going to happen. So I was so afraid of what people were going to think one year into marriage, like all the money we spent. And, you know, my therapist was just like, yeah, people are going to be pissed they'll get over it. <laughs> like, yeah. like in five years, they're not gonna care. They're not gonna remember. Yeah. And if you stay with him in five years, you're still gonna be miserable, most likely. But so that was really helpful. And um, we divorced. And I still kept drinking, because that was, again, my friend. Now at this point, like that was what I relied on. Because that had been with me through all these years now of, you know, there were some good, but there was some bad too. Um, then I can, (laughs) a whole slew of, you know, just putting myself in situations where like, had I not been drinking, I wouldn't have, you know, um, but I did end up meeting, um, my husband that I'm with now about seven years after my divorce. And he's a wonderful man. And we have a wonderful relationship, but drinking at this point had been such a part of my life like it never dawned on me to stop it was just it was part of me and it's funny I was listening I mean I listen to your book often on audio and I was listening a little bit this morning and that you had said something about like my wine and that stuck out to me because that's how I refer to it too my wine oh I have to go home and grab my glass of wine or open my bottle of wine you just feel this I don't know this at one with it it's, it's really strange. So um, we never really had any issues as far as my drinking. I mean, my husband is someone who can take it or leave it. He enjoys his craft beers and never gave me a problem about my drinking. Um, but I was still doing it pretty much every night. I would say the standard for me would have been three to six glasses of wine or, or drink a night. So maybe it was two martinis, but there's clearly a lot more than one drink in a martini. So even if it was two martinis and a glass of wine, you know, I could be like, oh, I only have three drinks. But like when, you, when you're doing to let down, it's probably more like four shots in each martini. So just way more than one should have. <laughs> um, so I had, I got pregnant. And you know, we were obviously very excited. I wasn't drinking and I um, relate to you a lot with, you know, when you talk about being pregnant, just miserable at like this, this, I'm missing out. Everyone else is having fun. Oh, it sucks, and you know, being very bitter. And it's funny because a girlfriend of mine she was pregnant at the same time and she was just you know rubbing her belly and showing it off and i love being pregnant and i was just like oh (laughs) I, i mean i said on more than one occasion like people who love being pregnant they must not have any life at all you know which is ridiculous i don't feel that way now um but at the time i did and um so you know we both have our children whatever I love being a mother, but I think I suffered a little bit of the, if not postpartum, definitely post-anxiety, postpartum anxiety, like if not the postpartum depression, it was postpartum anxiety. I had a lot of visions of like, oh my God, what if we go on a boat and he falls overboard? And then I see this vision in my head of like my son, like falling through the water and like they, they were more real than any vision I've ever seen in my life before. So I was just really, really freaked out all the time. I was like, okay, maybe it's time to get, I had gotten off of my antidepressants at that point. Like, maybe it's time to see a doctor and like get on something. I don't I don't want to take away from the experience of enjoying having a newborn at home, you know? And so again, another point in my life where I think um, a prescription antidepressant was a great help, but also around this time, um, we had two dogs, one from a puppy and another that I had rescued. And The rescue, when I got pregnant, he got a little bit more aggressive. He had some um, issues as well with like, as far as itching and needing shots and, and, um, but then I think he just unpredictable rescue dog. He, um, I remember having a friend over with her two kids and he bit her three-year-old in the face, like attack style. Mm -hmm. And this was the third, you know, he progressed from like a nip to a bite to now attacking a three-year-old's face, so I'm on maternity leave. I just had this baby. My, I literally pull my dog off of a three-year-old. If I hadn't been there, it would have been so much worse. But anyway, this put me into more of a depression and anxiety because, you know, it, we did decide to put him down because in all of the people I had talked to, I talked to multiple veterinarians, and it was I was told by a vet, you have a loaded gun. If you give this dog away you're giving a loaded gun to somebody else Mm -hmm. and it was kind of like you know he's gonna have to be put down so um I felt it was my responsibility to do that in like the loving care actually it was in this room right here um you know that came here and he was put down like in mine and my husband's arms so but it was still so traumatic for me Mm -hmm. and yeah um And especially just, I mean, I had a newborn and you're on maternity leave, so I'm home every day. Like, it didn't affect my husband the same because he went to work every day where I was just in this house. I'm like, oh, this is where he'd be, you know, laying next to me. And this is where, and it's like, it was just so much at one time. So, um, going back to work helped, and writing helped a lot. And, um, now we're a few months later down the road. My son turned one. I'm still, you know, we have the th- first birthday and I think you talked about this and either, I think it was your podcast, which I listen to all the time and, um, how your one-year-old's birthday or it was a birthday party for your kid. And it was like, okay, we're getting a keg and you know, it's like all this stuff for adults. <laughs> it's like, hello. It's a, I mean, we had stuff for kids too. and the lifeguard, thank God. But you know what I mean? Just asinine things that really was all that needed for a one-year-old's birthday. Um, so, uh, shortly after he turned one, um, I, you know, I was doing okay, but I was still drinking and, um, I had always just kind of, like I said earlier, been the one who I knew when to stop because I didn't want to get sick. So I could always, you know, I, I, I felt that I had a handle on it. I felt I I always had control. There weren't nights that I was like, what did I do last night? Or how did I get home? Like, it wasn't like that. It was just, I always came home from work and, you know, poured a glass of wine or made a martini or, you know, had a beer. And then that would make you want another one and another one. And I, you know, you look at, at life and like why someone like my father is still here and someone like my friend who had died of, you know, the the drugs and alcohol, like why would one live and one not? And to me, it was just easier to not think about that and just pour the wine and, you know, live your life that way. So, um... Shortly after my son turned one, I saw on Facebook that the girlfriend that was pregnant at the same time as me had a collection going for her daughter. And so I texted her, what's going on with your daughter? Why do you need a collection? She said there was a horrible crib accident and her daughter pulled a canvas picture off of the wall like went during nap time and had gotten it lodged between her neck and the crib and passed away so this like just spiraled my anxiety and depression and like i was already on the antidepressants but like this just wasn't working so i think the drinking i and i don't even know if i was drinking more but the reasons i was drinking certainly changed after that because i just remember after and i mean i went to the funeral and it was just the worst thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I don't know if I was drinking more because I was like, or if I, the, the reason I was drinking was because I felt so bad for them or because I was so scared that something like that could happen to my son. I'm sure it was a mixture of both. But the reasons I was trying to numb everything was just, I was so afraid of losing my son, you know, on top of feeling bad for my friends. So there were nights I would crawl into his crib with him Cause I was just so afraid of losing him and I just needed to be next to him at all times. And, um, I, I mean this, this went on for a little while I, I was getting chest pains, you know, just the anxiety was horrific and the thoughts, the thoughts were just horrific. So I definitely drinking like numbed that for me, but around the same time, I started to um, lose control of like what was happening when I was drinking. So for instance, there there was a night I woke up with a bag of chips on my nightstand. And I said to my husband, why the hell are there chips on the nightstand? Like I didn't put those there. He's like, are you kidding me? Like last night you got mad at me. You ran in the kitchen. You were rummaging through the pantry you were loud I was telling you you're gonna wake everyone up and I went back to bed just eating the chips in bed and I had no recollection and this had never happened to me before so um the final weekend of me drinking was we went to a wedding it was like a fun family outdoor at a picnic you know type thing so my baby was there you know I was dancing with the baby, like. Nothing out of the ordinary, you know. I remember that the bar closing because the night was over, and I was like, Oh, come on. And I was like, Come on, I'll, I'll give you a 20 if we can have, you know, just one of the bottles so we can keep drinking. And, you know, of course, the bartender's like, No, <laughs> pathetic. But um, someone brought over some beer. It was like Bud Lights, which I, I don't even like. And I was drinking those and whatever. But um, the next day, my husband mentioned something about like me being drunk the night before not that he was mad but just like oh haha ha, you were so drunk last night and i was like really i don't even remember feeling drunk at all i was like that's kind of weird like and then i started thinking back and i'm like well when was the last time i even did feel drunk and like why am i trying to feel drunk you know um and then so that day, I mean, I definitely felt a little hangover, but at that point in my life, hangovers were just the norm, you know, like having, I shared a meme on your, um, the, this naked mind Facebook page the other day that a friend had posted on my page. Like it came up as a memory three years ago, like you're at CVS buying four Pedia the catch here is like, oh, your baby must be sick. And as you're sweating out vodka, like, uh, yeah, the baby's real sick. So like I always had, you know, I'm chugging my pediatrics, and I'm like, oh, bloody Mary's would be good on this Sunday morning. And Sundays were always the worst for me because it's like thinking about work, the work week, mm. you know, starting and the laundry and the vacuuming and the, the, you know getting meal prep ready and the grocery shopping and it was just like oh, all these chores but the one thing that gets you through it is i can pour my glass of wine or pour a drink so sundays i i did drink um and it was to get through and so that sunday you know i had a little hangover from the wedding so i started with some um, bloody mary's then it was like a nice fall afternoon we have a kegerator so i poured some beers and was, you know, outside with the baby. And then at dinner time, I had poured some wine and I don't remember the rest. So the next morning, it's Monday, my alarm goes off for work, 5 30. And of course I wake up like a lot of Monday mornings. I was like, how can I get out of work today? <laughs> of course I always go in, you know, but it's like just such a lousy way to start the week. Like, how do I get out of this? Um, and I, I, you know, look at my phone and my husband had sent me a video and I watched it and it's me passed out on the couch with him, like lifting my arm up, and it just falling and lifting it up again and falling, calling my name, saying, Cheryl, we got to go to bed. Just unresponsive. And I, you know, I watched the video and I'm like, "God, I'm 35. I have a one-year-old, like, what the fuck am I doing? and i went out to the kitchen where he was eating breakfast i was like thanks for the video and he was like oh god that wasn't even the best part so like he's not mad at me which i think is the best thing cuz i think like my first husband would use my drinking as like you're you know blaming me for everything that went wrong and that just made me drink more <laughs> my husband was just like oh That wasn't the best part. After I stopped recording, you shot up, ran into the nursery, and started shouting that we had to go to the beach. And we're yelling, everybody, we're going to be late. We got to get to the beach. We don't live near a beach. I'm in upstate New York. So (laughs) I don't know what I was talking about. Um, I don't remember any of it. And I don't remember going to sleep. Obviously, I don't know if I ever checked on the baby. I'm sure he did. But um, that was just that really hit home. Because it was like I never had these experiences with alcohol before, where I didn't remember things. There was another time where he was like, the baby was crying last night and you, I couldn't wake you up. Which any other night, the second I hear anything, I shoot up and I'm in the nursery. But for whatever reason, there was a night or two that I didn't wake up and he couldn't get me up. So I I was just really scared of the way I was reacting to alcohol now. Um, Mm -hmm. And I started thinking like, where does this go? from here like does this is am I gonna have like an epiphany and get to the point where like I can just have one or two drinks once a week or just on holidays or like is there going to be a point where there's less stress in my life and I don't want to drink and it was just all these answers were like no because if it hasn't happened yet it's probably not going to you know I started drinking at 18 years old and I was 35 now so it's like okay well half your life you've been doing this and you haven't changed it, it's only progressed, then chances are it's not just gonna go away on its own. And, is, and then it was like, so then am I just gonna be my father? And you know, I started, and, and so this, I, I guess at this point I had, the, the, the morning that I woke up to my husband's video, I went into work had the Gracie bacon egg and cheese sandwich to help with the hangover. And went online and your book just, I like I say, Annie Grace's book raced my computer screen for whatever reason. It's not the first time I looked up books or ways to moderate or anything, but it was the only time your book showed up. And I've never had a drink since. But the questions I started thinking was like, you know, I wanted so badly to have an adulthood that was so much better than my childhood. And I was like doing this by finding men who didn't drink. And it's like all along, I was the one drinking. I'm the reason and I'm gonna have the shitty adult life. And um, you know, you just start putting things together when your brain isn't clouded with being buzzed or drunk or hungover or thinking of your next drink. You have time to like really evaluate things. So that's what I've been doing since, <laughs> since I stopped, I stopped uh, drinking September 16th of 2019. So it's been just over a hundred days.
0: Oh, it's amazing. So there's a few things that you said that like really stood out to me. I mean, first of all, thank you. That story was like, I knew it would be, it was just, it's incredible and powerful and you, you have a way with telling stories. So thank you so much for taking thank the time you. to share that. Um, but one of the things is, you know, you said your reasons changed. And, um, I remember the, the first time my dog that I owned in my life, and it was very traumatic for me to lose my childhood dog because, but he was, I got him when I was one. Um, she was, she was 12, I was 13. So it was like, we were one year apart basically. And, and it was intense. And I remember it being like my first kind of brush with death and all that sort of stuff. But it was also a very a thing that you could understand as a very natural part of life. And then I remember uh, I got my own dog in, after I graduated college. And I had this dog, very sweet little dog, less than a year. And my roommate let him out. And um, there was a hole in our fence. So she let him out in the backyard to just go to the bathroom. There was a hole in our fence. And I drove home to see him dead on the road. And so oh. she didn't even know. And so I walked in the house carrying him. sitting on the couch watching tv and it was just like i remember like not even being able to go back to work and it was and i think there's something in you know and and people are like well it's just a dog but like i think there's something in the the unexpected and unfair and why is this happening and i don't get it and i mean especially with the situation of like that idea of like you can't even give them away because it's a loaded gun and so that whole story and then um gosh the tragedy of your of your friend's baby like when the reasons change it actually changes um there's a lot of science to support that it changes how
1: neurochemically alcohol works in the brain well that makes and sense so, then for my things that i did that i didn't remember changing that right
0: Right, because what happens, and it, it's kind of a, a long explanation that I won't go into all the details here, but Dr. Kevin McCauley is the one who really studies this, and it's something called the hedonic threshold. And when the, when the mind is in more stress, the things that used to register to relieve our stress and to take our stress levels down, which the body sees stress, is like something that it, it needs to regulate, obviously, um, don't work anymore. So so we end up turning to something, but alcohol, because it artificially stimulates the parts of our, like, in the very short term, it artificially stimulates our pleasure center for 20 to 30 minutes. And then because it's a stimulant and a depressant, it brings us up, but then it kicks us back down, even lower than we were before. But in that point of stimulation, the brain says... Oh, this is the thing. This is the thing I need. And so the, the switch is almost flipped, if you will, where alcohol becomes like, okay, take it or leave it. Nice to have. And then you start drinking for moments of stress or trauma and it becomes a no, no, the brain has learned. I need this. And I need this in a way that feels like survival and yes. it's very subconscious it, it's not and we blame ourselves and we get so frustrated with ourselves but what we don't realize is the brain is acting exactly how the brain is supposed to act and interestingly with your father and some of his mental illness very similar mechanisms right like alcohol could be the thing it, it's just like a thought error it gets confused and it's not even a thought error it's it, it's like a chemical error and um and so there's a lot of research to say that when we start drinking for points of stress, our, our kind of relationship with alcohol changes because it becomes much less of a, okay, I can, I can't, yeah, I'm pregnant, so I'm sad, but I'm still not to a, no, I must, because actually not drinking or drinking at a subconscious level feels like survival. There was a study done where they got mice addicted um, to an addictive substance. I don't know if it was alcohol or not, but when somebody, when, when that, that switch is flipped, they would like walk across an electric grate to get at it, right? They would do things like ignore their young. They would um, even even forego water and food and end up dying of starvation to continue to stimulate the part of the brain that that is stimulated when um, we're we're drinking that way. So anyway, just to say like that was just really insightful to say my reasons changed. And then just for anybody listening, it is. Amazing how most people where drinking has really become like, wow, something crazy is happening here. I never blacked out before. I never did that before. What is, has what is changed? What is different? When did I even cross that line? I don't even know. Um, a lot of people can look back and identify, oh, it was, and it's not a moment in time. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a series of things. For me, I can look back and be like, oh, it was my second son was born and I had really severe postpartum depression that I wasn't prepared for. So, um, my friend, Jolene, she's like, oh, it was my divorce, you know, and, and a lot of people can look back and kind of identify when their reasons changed. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just thought that was worth kind of digging into because it was really profound. Um, and then the second thing was just when you had the clarity of mind to
1: say, where is this going? I mean, yeah. wow. Well, and it's funny because I mean, I've always been the type that was like, all right, well, when I have kids, it'll be fun because me and the other moms will be like watching them from, you know, if they're playing football or whatever. And we'll be in the stands with our little wine in our, you know, mugs and having a grand old time. And I started thinking about it and like, what does that tell your son? I mean, <laughs> like when I stopped drinking, that was one of the thoughts like, oh my God, I'm not going to get to do that. Like, I'm just going to have like coffee in my coffee mug and thinking I'm I'm going to miss out. But then it was like, you're there for your kid. <laughs> like, you know, how is how does that make him feel if mom's not even paying attention to his, the basket that he made or the touchdown or the assist or whatever he plays? Because she's like, drinking and spending all you know talking with other moms and not paying attention or attention isn't me or focus isn't me and it's like yeah that's selfish I had 34 years to, to focus on me now my focus has to be my kid and um yeah that was all I, I didn't I didn't see it going god I I didn't I, it was gonna go right to where my father's life had gone <laughs> I guarantee that but maybe I wouldn't have been so lucky as to gotten over the cirrhosis.
0: And I think that it's so, it's, it's very empowering for us. I always talk about we need to change for us, right? We, we really do, like at our core. And I mean that in the sense of like, if you have a spouse or a partner or a parent or a sibling who's like, you need to change, you know, and pressuring you and, and the classic intervention or whatever, Um, even, even if we're kind of quote forced to change for someone else, the chances of it really sticking are not good. That being said, when we internally use the motivation of something like a child to change, Mm -hmm. that's actually a really good and effective thing, you know, and I think it can be, um, very good because it is changing for ourselves, but it's kind of like with the Dalai Lama, he he uses this phrase, like it's good, selfish. Like we're always going to be selfish. It's just like, we are, we can't deny that, but like be good, selfish, be selfish in a way that actually perpetuates the best for other people as well. And I think that's really, really interesting. And just the clarity to say, where is this going? Is there, is there going to, that question really struck me. Is there going to be a point in time when I magically want to drink less or where this magically resolves itself, or where things, and, and I think we hold out hope that like, oh, this is just temporary. I know I did, I was like, oh, this is just temporary. Like, this is just because the kids are so young, and this is just because I'm so stressed in this area, or this is just because, you know, whatever it was. And the truth is that that's not chemically how alcohol works in the brain. Like, it, it works by creating tolerance, which, I mean, is kind of like an immunity. Right? Yeah. like it's yeah. hey hey i need to become immune to this because it's it's bad for me so i need to like be pushing back against it and um and i think that's really really fascinating so i i just love that clarity of mind it's,
1: it's yeah cool. and i think too like okay so i got to a point where i did have a good husband a good relationship and you know now this child so like i had everything why was I drinking to, I, and I, I heard, I didn't, I wouldn't have realized that on my own. I was listening to Dax Shepard. He has a podcast and he's, he's sober now. I think he's for like I don't know, 13 years or something, but he touches on his sobriety in a lot of his episodes. And he said that he came to that realization. Um, he, he was a bad junkie and it was like on the way back from filming a movie and he needed alcohol at the airport just to get him home because like he was, you know, getting the shakes and stuff so bad. And he said to himself, I'm, I'm now, I know of everything like that. I wanted, I wanted to be a movie star. I wanted to be rich for movies and I am, I'm there. So why are we numbing this? Cause like, you know, you've said a million times that numbs the good along with the bad. So it was like, well, I have the, that good, adult life that I had wished for for so long and you know I why am I trying to drink it away and life goes by so quick so like to then erase half the memories because of alcohol it's like you know you you miss so much whether you have a kid or not I mean you just this my 20s went by so fast and I you know I know the rest will go by fast too.
0: (laughs) And I feel like it does go faster once you have a kid because it's, you just get busier and you know, it's, and then you watch and you're like, Oh my gosh, my baby is, is older. And it's, it's very surreal time.
1: And I really want to be present for that. And I just, you know, putting the baby to bed at night, it's like, okay, can you hurry up because my wine is waiting in the kitchen and it's, I don't have that now. It's, I mean, sure. Sometimes you're like, Oh my God, go to sleep. But right. it's not because my body needs that wine in the other room. It's, it's just, and then there are a lot of other times that I just, I can sit here and rock it till whenever take your time kid. Cause I'm not going anywhere and I'm at peace with that. So it's yeah. just been amazing. And, um, I'd mentioned before I, you know, I was doing writing, I, I had written on and off for years and, you know, once I stopped drinking, I, and I really, for anyone else who has stopped or is looking to stop filling that time with something else like writing, whatever it is for me, it was writing. And I'd always kind of wanted to write this memoir about growing up and that, you know, with my dad and his phobias, and the OCD and stuff. So I'm like, you know, damn it. I'm doing it now. I'm doing it. I booked a retreat. I'm, I live in New York. I'm flying to Seattle in March We're to, to um, meet with a memoir writing coach and oh, it, love it. it's stuff I never would have first of all I never if I were drinking I never would have booked a vacation that wasn't too like an all-inclusive right <laughs> so, and I never would have done anything on my own I mean leaving I feel bad I'm leaving my son for a few days but like he's not gonna remember I'll get so much more out of it that will you know but I never would have done this before if I were drinking, you know, and this is for me, like if no one reads it, whatever, it's just an accomplishment for me. And I I think to, for, for people that, you know, are quitting or looking to cut back, Phil, even if it's watching a Netflix show, but like, you know, something else needs to occupy that time. And also what's helped me so much is just re-listening to your book on audio because I was thinking about it, I think you might have touched on this in your book too, with how much the alcohol industry spends on advertisements. I mean, they do that because they want us to see it over and over and over and over again. So like reading your book once, like sure that does the trick for a little bit, but then you're influx so much by... Even if it's not a commercial, you watch a show and they're having a beer in it or they're having some wine or, you know, Cosmo or whatever. So you're getting those subliminal messages all the time. It's really important to reinforce the information in your book, whether it be by, you know, re list. For me, I like audio because I do it in the car. But um, reading your book over and over or your podcast, you refer to so many other podcasts and books. And it's just that's when I, I go to your. Um, this Naked Mind community all the time. And let me just give a shout out to that group because they are amazing. (laughs) Um, And I always try to comment on people's things and tell them that, like, just keep listening to it because, you know, and you'll pick up on different things at all times. And the podcast is just so fun to hear other people's stories and you talking to the experts and really reinforce that information. It's so necessary.
0: It's like there's. It's so funny because we think, and, and I fall into this trap all the time. But we think that that knowing something is actually changing, and like the the distance between knowing something and mastering something. Knowing something is like, okay, yeah, I get it. Um, feeling something is like, oh, I actually want it. And then mastering something is like, oh my gosh, it's as easy as breathing. Like it's my new normal, right? And like that spectrum, the book starts you with knowing, but the the getting it and wanting it and can happen in the book too, but the mastering it has to come from like actually living it, right? Like that's exactly. that's where it comes. And so reinforcing the knowing through that journey to just really it being your new normal is is so good. I, I love that. It's awesome. So let me ask you the question I ask at the end, um which you've already kind of touched on, which is cool, but I, I'll have you uh just think about it again is, you know, if you could go back in time, um, you know, especially to the girl who's dealing with such such intense uh, you know, sadness and just uh, fear about not only your son's life, but like just sadness for your friend and, and for yourself and, and all of those events. And even the girl who was growing up in this very turbulent environment, like what would you tell her about what life is like now?
1: So I knew you were going to ask this, so I thought a lot about it. And, um, you know, I, I don't think there's anything I could say to her to change the path And I don't think I'd want to, um, you, you, I would say you're gonna go through what you're going to go through and just don't be scared that like those visions of going to your son's game and just having, you know, coffee in your, your mug. Like, don't, don't like look for the bigger picture on that. Don't be afraid of like vacations without, you know, mimosas in the morning and you know wine at night or drinks on the beach like don't all those visions that I had in my head of how life was going to be don't be scared that that's not going to be what happens and and really be excited that you're going to get so much more out of these vacations and watching your son play these games and um just life itself there's just I I mean you say it all the time and I know don't get me wrong there are hard times you know um but it's just it's all perspective and it's not scary to not drink. I think that's what I would tell her. It's you know, it's all what society and 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 you know, you're made to believe that you're gonna miss out without alcohol and you're really not. And you know, even like on New Year's Eve, we I, you know, I I drove because I knew I wasn't gonna be drinking, and I brought my husband to our friend's house, and the first thing they said is oh, should we start with beer or whiskey? And I did have a tinge of like, aww, like the fear of missing out. And I was like, wait, why? And it was like, do you even like the taste of whiskey? No. <laughs> like, um, you have kids to like watch after who, who like went up the stairs behind my friends when they put their kid to bed. And we, My husband and I didn't even pay attention, like we didn't even know. But the nice part about that was, I didn't have to say, was it because I was drunk? or but you know, it was because I was drinking that I didn't notice my kid walked up the stairs. No one knew, like no one was watching him, but it was like, stuff. I mean, shit happens. He was fine. He didn't fall or anything, but he could have, but I didn't have that guilt of like, oh, I'm such a bad mom. I was drinking and not paying attention. It was just like, oh, okay, now, now we got to watch because he does that. But um, yeah, so I really thought about like, why do you want why are you feel like you're missing out from, cause they're going to have a shot of whiskey. And once you really go through, it's like, oh no, there it's, none of that's true. It's all false. I don't like the taste. I don't want to feel that buzz. If I feel that buzz, I'm going to want another one, then another one, then another one. None of it's really going to be enough. And then tomorrow I'm going to be like pissed off at myself and feeling hungover and it's just not worth it in the end.
0: <laughs> that's so awesome. So true too. I mean, I, I agree. So good. Well, thank you so much. Uh, what a generous telling of your story. It's just awesome. And I really, I really appreciate you being here and getting to know you of it. It's been really fun.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I, well, I feel like I already know you, so. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But oh, thank so- you. <laughs> fun for me because like I had, I had somebody tell me that the other day she's
0: like I, I know everything about you and you know nothing about me and I was like oh that's so funny but yeah
1: I guess it's it so but it's because you do such good storytelling and you're so open with all the work that you've done and with your life so it's that's what probably makes you so successful too and people really relate to you because you are open so it's easy for us to feel like we're already friends with you <laughs> so thank you that's awesome. Um,
0: and let us know, let me know um, when your memoir comes out or when you
1: Absolutely, writing. yeah. I have a blog if anyone wants to check it out. It's blogofnonsense.com. Oh,
0: yeah. A blog of nonsense? Awesome. Yeah. I'm writing it down. <laughs> okay, perfect. That's so great. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Have a great Thank day. Thank you,
1: Annie. Have a good one. Okay, bye. Bye.
0: Did you miss This Naked Mind Live? And do you maybe have a little bit of FOMO? But don't worry, I've got you covered. In fact, I had the entire event professionally recorded and it's available digitally. Transformation in your living room. Yep, that is what it's all about. You can grab your digital ticket at thisnakedmind.com forward slash digital ticket. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.